Now you can turn in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. 1 John is in your New Testament right before 2 John and 3 John. <laughs> right after 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Tonight we're going to be kind of starting in the, the middle of this book, and uh, so I'll give you a little background to the book. John the Apostle wrote this letter, as well as Second and Third John, and the Gospel of John and Revelation, and he was the last living apostle. apostle. These letters were probably written very late in the first century, uh, 90 to 95 AD would be the estimation on the time of writing, and John has a purpose and a motivation that is pretty clear in 1 John. And uh, four motivations that, that I picked out. And the first one is his first motivation or purpose for declaring these things is for believers to have fellowship with God, the Father, Jesus, and other believers. In 1 John uh, uh, 1 and verse 3, it says, that which which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that or so that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. His second purpose or motivation is joy for all believers. He says in 1 John 1 and 4, and these things I write to you that or so that your joy might be full that you might be full of joy. One of the reasons that I'm, I'm writing this to you. His third purpose uh, is to keep them from sin. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And his fourth purpose is that they may know that they have eternal life and continue in belief or continue to believe in Jesus Christ. In chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so he's written to believers, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John's motivation for his children in the Lord would be to have fellowship with God, fullness of joy, strengthen uh, their faith for, for forsaking sin and assurance of eternal life and continued belief in Jesus. John, 1 John, is a book of assurances, a book of some things that we can know, a book, a book that we can measure ourselves by. We can measure our faith. We can measure our love. We can measure our forgiveness. We can measure our repentance by. He wanted his little children to know these things and to live a life with confidence that they would know in the things that they know and the things that they do. A full understanding of what I'm going to call tonight complete love and complete forgiveness and complete repentance and complete faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us tonight and we thank you that you love us we thank you for your word lord that we can that we can meet and worship you and and you hear us and you hear our hearts no matter where we're at tonight lord for we know that in this congregation tonight we come from all kinds of places 
Some of us are overjoyed in all that you're doing in our lives. Some of us are scared about what you're doing in our lives. Some of us have faced great trial, even yet today. Some of us might be confused. Lord, and yet some of us maybe not haven't even trusted in you yet. Father, I pray tonight that by your word we'd be strengthened, we'd be encouraged, we'd be reminded, Lord, and that you'd get glory because we spent time studying your word and that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 2 and verse 28. John says, and now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Little children, a term that John loved to use, it's a term that Jesus used as he was teaching and for his disciples. And John picks it up and calls the saints that he's writing to little children. Little children, abide in him. Stay close to him. Stay attached to him. Live knowing that he loves you and that he loves you completely. Live every day as if he were coming back, not ashamed of any day should he come back, but excited and confident in, in seeing him and in his return. Jesus said this in Matthew 18 and 3. Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of, of heaven. Have you ever watched, those of us who, who are getting on in age, and life, life has thrown us a few curveballs and and, this, and, and each year you think it's going to get better, and when you reach this part, it's less stress and this and that, and it just keeps going. The longer you live, the more stress you know, it seems like. And have you ever looked at little children and how they're playing and gone, oh, man, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could go back to those days. I wish I could go back to that kind of carefree life. That would be awesome. <laughs> Peter tells us this in chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, the mighty hand of God is scary to those who don't believe. It's comforting to those of us who do and to know that he loves us. Little children, abide in this. We can live. And to a certain point, be carefree. Oh, we still have the responsibilities and we still got to deal with it. But, we, but knowing God is there and he has our back and, and, and I can give this care to him makes me live life just a little bit lighter. Just a little bit lighter. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. John writes that we can judge ourselves in this. Here's something now that, hey, if you want to know if you're, if you're born of him, are you practicing righteousness? Because he says those who do this, those who practice righteousness, hey, it's evidence. It's evidence in their life that they're born of him. Now, now you see, Jesus doesn't practice righteousness. Because he is righteous. And he is righteousness. So he doesn't have to practice. But us, we are sinners. And we are faulty. And so we have to practice righteousness. Guess whose, pra- guess whose righteousness we practice? Jesus. You see, and when we practice his righteousness because he is righteous, it is showing forth that I am a child of God, that I'm his, that I'm born of him. Chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Behold, what manner of love. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. God's love for us and the degree that he loves us and the kind of love that he loves us with. John says, what, what manner is this? What is it made of? How is it possible? What manner is it that, that, he can, that he can call me his child, that he can call me forgiven? What manner is it that, that, that here he wants to be with me? He wants to have relationship with me. It's part of the mystery of God's love. But what I call it tonight is a complete love. It's a complete love. Because it didn't stop short. What manner of agape, what manner of sacrificial love has been placed upon me to call me the child of God, John says. And it's something to where here we know that we can't possibly earn it, and yet we, we just thank him for it. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I received this love for you. I don't, I don't totally understand all of it, and I don't totally understand why. At some point, at some point, I hope to. And the more that we press into him, the more that we ask him for understanding, then the more that, that we can start to function in this type of complete love. Look at, look at verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, heaven and our heavenly state, it hasn't yet been fully revealed. Oh, we can get glimpses. We can see some of the things in Revelation, some of the things in Scripture. And we can get glimpses of it, but, but John says it hasn't been fully re- revealed what we're going to be. It hasn't be, been fully revealed wh- wh- what God is, is going to 
do with us, but we're going to be like him. We won't be flesh. We will be spirit like him. But it hasn't, it's beyond our grasp. It's beyond our mind. It's beyond our comprehension what we will be, John says. You know, sometimes we refer to earthly things as heavenly. A cool mist on a hot summer day. Oh, that, that's, just, that's just heavenly. That's just heavenly right now. It's heavenly. A warm, a warm fire when it's snowing outside and you come in and it's cold and it's crackling and you can hear it and you can sit by it. Oh, that's just, oh, that, that's heavenly. That's heavenly. The cool breeze of, of the ocean and the, and the, cr- the crashing of the waves and the, you know, because there's nothing like that, you know. That, oh, that's just, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven when I'm at the beach. When you're gluten-free like me and, and you can't eat wheat and, and you find out that the cheesecake factory, ha, cheesecake factory has one cheesecake called Godiva Chocolate Cheesecake and you take that first bite after five years of not having cheesecake, oh, that, that is heavenly. That is heavenly. You see, we don't know exactly what we will be. It's it's not fully known what we will be. But we instinctively know that heaven can only be described by the very best experiences that we have here on earth. That it's good. That it's going to be incredible. That it's going to be awesome. That we're going to be like him having fellowship with him. But yet the very best feeling, this side of heaven still falls short, doesn't it? It still falls short. What manner of love, what manner of love, a complete love, a love that went to the cross, a love that wants to forgive, a love that wants to change us, And take us to heaven and be with us for eternity. That's a complete love. Now some would say, what about God's judgment? How can that be love? We have to remember that biblically, God doesn't judge anyone until he goes to the cross for them, until he pays the price. And it's only in that rejection that someone will earn that. It's only in the rejection of this kind of complete love. You see, in order to go to hell, you have to reject this kind of love and rebel that much against the Lord. And so it is still love to his account. It's complete love and it's a complete sacrifice. Point of application. Who does God want you to completely love? Who in your life have you come a little short? 
You see, if God has poured out his complete love to you and extended that kind of grace to you and desires that relationship with you when you did not want it from him, while you were still yet a sinner, Christ died for you, then it seems like there's always someone in our life that he's challenging us, oh, love them more. Love them like I loved you, with a complete love. With a complete love. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him, this hope of heaven, this hope of a complete love that God has given us, purifies himself just as he is pure. That's a high calling. If we have this hope of heaven because God has been gracious to us, then we want to be pure. Now, how can that happen? Purify myself? Pure? When it comes to me being pure, my tank is empty. Now, if you need water and your tank is empty, you got to go to a water source. You got to go to the well. Now, he says, purify yourself. And you, how do I do? go to Jesus who is pure? You see, and then, and then he, he, will, he will fill you up. When you ask him, Lord, make me pure, I am not. And you recognize and you confess that. And, and, and he has told us in his word tonight, hey, be, purify yourself. Be pure as he is pure. That's pretty, that's pretty pure, pure. Then we can't settle for the old, well, I'm just a sinner. You know, I'm just this, I'm just that. No, no. If we're going to say I'm just a sinner because of something we did, then it should break our heart. And we should run to him and, and he will fill, he will fill us up and he will show us and he will, he, he will go before us to be purity for us. Lord, make us pure. Lord, make us pure. Whoever, verse four, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. We see plenty of that in our world today. Amen. And you know that he was manifested, he was revealed, he came forth, that you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. What goes along with God's complete love for us? God's complete forgiveness. John says he was manifested to take away our sins, to remove them, that they would be gone, that they would not be remembered any longer. He came for this reason. You see, because in him is no sin. And he wanted a relationship with you and I, but because we were sinners and he can't have relationship with sin, he had to do something about our sin. And so he came forth to get rid of it so that that which was between he and us would be gone, removed. That's complete forgiveness. Because if the forgiveness wasn't complete, then the sin isn't gone. And if the sin isn't gone, I can't have relationship with God. This is why he came forth, John says. If we are walking in sin, it takes us out of fellowship with God. What fellowship does light have with darkness, the Bible says. But Jesus, Jesus offers a complete forgiveness of sin. He takes it away. Lord, thank you. What a blessing. 
what complete love. To have, to have now a clean slate with God. To be forgiven totally. Do we remember that for ourselves? And a point of application again, do we remember that for others? Where has my forgiveness fallen short when it comes to others? I think when this reveals itself and and becomes very evident to me as a pastor when I'm talking to people is when someone has been hurt deeply. And they'll testify, yes, I forgave them. But yet, when their name gets brought up, or maybe something looks like that hurt again, they go right back to that person that hurt them, and you can see it. You see, so us, sinful flesh, that's hard. That's tough. Remember, if you were hurt and you're struggling with forgiveness, Christ was hurt and he didn't deserve it. He was spin on, spin on, and he didn't deserve it. He went before you. He got there before you. And he knows. And he can help you in that forgiveness. What a burden to be taken away, to be able to really, really forgive and not pick that thing up again. What a gift to you as the child of God, and what a gift to the person that you've just forgiven. You see, you become like God, like, like God to someone. You see, you take on his attribute of forgiveness in a very, very real and deep way. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, our context and the word here is a continuing or a practicing of sin. Because earlier, John says, hey, to, to believers, if you sin, we have an advocate of the Father. In other words, Jesus will stand up for us if we do sin, so we can still sin. He's talking about a continuing and a practicing of sin. Whoever, uh, who, whoever abides in him does not sin or does not practice sin. Whoever sins or practices sin on a regular basis has never, never seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this is the purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might destroy the power of sin in our life, that we might be able to have victory over that power. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever practices sin is not of him. You see, complete love and complete forgiveness, it does biblically require something. It requires complete repentance. It requires complete repentance. Jesus said, repent and believe. John the Baptist said, repent and believe. The apostles said, repent and believe. 
And that repentance has to be genuine and it has to be complete. You see, let's say, let's say that you go out to your favorite restaurant and the waiter comes and you order your favorite appetizer. And he, you know, seven minutes later brings out um, what is supposed to be six, uh, you know, potato skins filled with, you know, cheese and bacon and sour cream and chives. Hope you guys all ate before. (laughs) And the only problem is there's only four of them. And it's supposed to be six. You go, hey, what, what, there's supposed to be six here. What happened? And he says, oh, you know what? They don't feed us here at this restaurant. And, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. And could, could you please not tell my manager? I, I, don't, I can't lose my job. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and of course, well, you're a Christian. And so, and so you're going to forgive him. And so later on, it's time for him to bring you your New York steak that, uh, that you ordered. And he brings it out, and sure enough, there's three quarters of a New York steak. And, and you say, what's the deal here with my steak? I'm sorry. You know, you were so gracious before. And, and, and I, I was still hungry. And, I, you know... Would you just please forgive me? Just, just don't tell my man. Please, you know. You do the loving thing. All right. Okay, so now it's time for dessert. And by now you're ready for dessert because you've given away one quarter of your meal. And so the waiter brings you your Godiva chocolate cheesecake. And there's only half of it. And he doesn't even wait for you to say anything. He just says, I'm sorry. Please don't, please don't tell. Please, you know, I, 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 you're so gracious. And, I'm, and about that point, because it's so heavenly and it's your favorite thing in the whole world. See, you're, you're not sorry. I mean, I can understand, you know, you're, you're hungry. You had potato skin. You, had, you didn't have to have dessert on me either. You're taking advantage of my graciousness at this point. That's kind of a silly example, isn't it? Who would do such a thing and expect forgiveness? Who would do such a thing and expect forgiveness? You see, John says we cannot take advantage of the grace of God and be called his children. We can't continue in sin. It's not complete repentance. Complete repentance is being sorry for my sin. It's stopping sin. It's hating sin. It's admitting my sin and working hard not to practice it, but to practice righteousness. Complete repentance is running from sin and it is a proof that I am a child of God. Look at verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. 
does not continue or practice sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. You see, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and, and Jesus has given us his spirit, and he's placed salvation in our hearts and our minds, and he's, given, and he's revealed himself to us. He's placed his seed within us. That's why you, Christian, cannot be comfortable in your sin. And we read through a chapter like this and, and scripture like this, and we, man, I do sin sometimes, so am I a child of God? You are if you're convicted of sin. And he doesn't want to leave you in that, even if you have struggled with sin and a sin and a life-dominating sin. And you've given, even if you've given yourself over. Now, is it reason to fear? Absolutely. Is it reason to be brokenhearted? Absolutely, because it takes us out of fellowship with God when we, when we abide in that sin. But complete repentance is going to work hard at that. And so if that's you tonight and you're struggling in a sin, God wants to give you complete repentance. And if you've struggled with on your own, then go to the people of God. Go to your church. Go to whoever and say, man, I, I want to get over this. Lord, I want to get over this. And he'll bless you because he wants complete repentance in your life. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Look at verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Running to righteousness and running to love my brother and my sister in Christ. That reveals who I am. Running to it. Practicing it. Running the opposite way. Running to sin reveals just the opposite. And so if we find ourselves running to sin, then we do have reason to question and say, Lord, what's, what's going on here? I don't want to cause anyone to question their salvation. But if, if, you're, if you're someone who's continually running to sin, then there's some work to do with the Lord because he completely loves you and he completely forgives you, but he needs your complete repentance. He needs you to run to righteousness and away from wickedness and away from sin. John here is clear about knowing if someone is the child of God or the child of the devil. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, Cain wanted to offer to God the fruit of the ground or the fruit of his hand. 
And Abel brought the right sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, you see, because God wanted it to be an animal sacrifice. To what? To be a precursor to Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross for us. That was God's way. Cain wanted to do it his way. And God said that it was wicked. And Cain looked at his brother and and saw that and was jealous and, and took his life. Wickedness, jealousy, envy. Cain didn't want to do it God's way. Cain's actions revealed who he was. If we are saved by God's grace, our works will show. Love shows the child of God. Love reveals the child of God. Look at verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Just like Cain was wicked and hated his brother because Abel's works were right before God, John writes, so the people of this world don't understand, don't get it, and hate the things of God, and so they will hate the children of God. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. Don't be perplexed by this. It's happened from the beginning. It happened right after they got out of the garden, John says. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death or lives in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do we love the people of God? Do we love the people in our church? Do we love the people we call brothers and sisters in Christ? If we do, then it's evidence that we are his. The word love here that he continually uses is agape. It's God's love, and it is a sacrificial love. It is the love that he loves with us. And so the complete love that that he gives to us, he's asking us, now you give the complete love back to each other. That's the extent that I want you to love each other. Not just when you're getting along. Not just when your brother or sister in Christ is, is doing the things that make you happy. No, when they do things against you. When you're struggling Extend, extend the kind of love. When they sin against you, extend the kind of love to them that I extended to you. God has a complete love for us. We should have a complete love for others. A complete love, you see, doesn't have time for hate. It doesn't have time for guile. It doesn't have time or space for bitterness. It doesn't have time to hold grudges. It doesn't have time to hold something over our brother or sister's head in Christ. It only has time to be a complete, full, sacrificial love, willing at any point to forgive and to make things right, even, even to my own point of death, to my own laying down of my life to show that kind of love. Now, John here in 16 gives us a practical example of this kind of love. 
He says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Complete love hears the call. Complete love sees the need. And complete love goes and does something. It takes action. It does the thing that that says, I love you. It goes to the extent of of where if this person even, even is totally against you, hey, I love you. I want to make this right with you. Love goes to the extent that Jesus went, and that's to the cross. Love reacts in a loving way when it's hard. By this, John writes, we know that we have a complete love, and we know that we abide in him, and we know that we are his child. The love, the evidence of love in my life. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue with an incomplete love, but in deed and truth. You see, for it to be a complete love, it's in deed, it's in action, and it is in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. John is saying, you know, my little children, if your heart condemns you, in other words, if, if, if you're still, we're still flesh, we still do sin, we're still imperfect, there are still times when, 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 when we're doubting even ourselves, it says God is even greater than that. God can even, even overcome that because God does see those times that even though we're faulty and we're frailty and we don't get this right all the time, he sees when we make that effort of love and righteousness and he can remind us of that and he can remind us by his spirit, I see and I know and I know, you're, I know you are trying. If your heart condemns you, John says, hey, God's greater than that. God's greater than that. But he says in verse 21, Beloved, if your heart does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Confidence that we can walk in because, because we know our heart's right before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So there are those times when we feel worthless and condemned. There are those times we walk in confidence. And, jo- and John says, you can walk in this confidence that, that if, you're, if you're keeping his commandments, if you're doing things that, that please God, then you have petitions before the throne room of God. You can ask for things and he will give it to you. Why? Because he knows when your heart is lined up with complete love and complete forgiveness and complete repentance and and that you're in tune with him that you're going to be asking things that are also in tune with him there's no way you can turn this 
context into God's my genie in the bottle and will give me whatever I want. No, no. This all comes with a complete understanding that God knows what you are asking and how you're asking it and with what intent you're asking it. And if you ask it from a pure heart and if you're asking for something that he's going to give you, then it will be in, in his will. What a thing to think about. Lord, I can actually ask you for things, good things for people, for my life, for my kids, for my wife, for my mom, for my dad, for my church. I can ask you for those things and you hear and you answer? John assures them of that. God knows when we walk in complete love and complete forgiveness and complete repentance and our prayers line up with him and we can please God. What a thought. That it's predicated on us keeping his commandments and doing things that actually please him. That he looks down and he says, oh, I'm pleased. And he wants to look down and to be pleased. He wants us doing things that please him. What incredible thought. The commandment that pleases God. Finally, is in verse 23. And this is the commandment, he says. If you're walking his commandments, doing things that please him, this is that commandment. This is that thing. I'm going to wrap this up and kind of make it tidy for you. This is the thing that you can do and that you can concentrate in your life and that your life can be surrounded. This is the commandment that God wants you to do and that is pleasing in his, in his sight. This is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love, agape one another, just as, just as, as he gave us commandment. To have faith in God. To have faith in God and to believe and to love each other. If I live my life with those two things in mind, God, I believe in you, and I love you, and I want to love others. Lord, show me. Show me how to love my brother. Show me how to love my father. Show me how to love my mother. Show me how, how, how do I love my sister, God? How do I love my brother, God? How do I love my friend? How do I love my church? Lord, how do I love the guy that you know is the last person on earth I want to love. <coughs> that pleases the heart of God in its complete faith. That's complete faith in God. Jesus said this in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, and you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, God has shown us indeed a complete love and given us complete forgiveness. But he wants complete repentance. And he wants complete faith. And does he deserve any less You see, he wants it. And if you want that in your life, then you can have it. Forsaking your sin, 
and believing on him. Believing that he went to that cross for you, with you in mind. Complete love, complete forgiveness. Complete faith, complete repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness tonight and your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, that you spoke through your servant, John. Lord, things that that can be difficult at times to grasp and to understand fully, and yet things, Lord, that by your spirit you make clear. Lord, the the clear message that you love us, the clear message that you have came, you died for us on on the cross, Lord. Lord, help us to press in to repentance beyond maybe where we ever have, to forsake sin in our lives. Lord, help us to press into a faith that's complete in you, a faith that doesn't waver, a faith that's strong. Lord, work that in our lives. Lord, we thank you and and we praise you for who you are tonight. Be glorified in, in our time of communion and our continued time of worship. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's-